In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Saint Joseph, protecting father of the infant Jesus and dedicated husband of the Blessed Virgin Mary, we men come before you for your powerful intercession and protection. We return to your courageous example to form and shape us into a masculine presence that will lead others to the knowledge of God our loving Father so that we men can be examples for our family, our church, and our community. We lift up to you, St. Joseph, our joy and our pain, our success and struggles. Through it all, with our sinfulness, may we persevere in the mission of leading our families into heaven. St. Joseph, we recognize the calm and protective presence that lifted up the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Son of God, through your love and protection. Obtain for us, through your divine Son, all the spiritual blessings needed to grow as his disciples, strengthening not only our relationship to him, but also that of the entire church. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. The CTM was founded under the principle that authentic masculinity is under attack, and more specifically, authentic Catholic masculinity. All of us have as our end goal is to get to get to heaven and least and at least as importantly as getting ourselves to heaven is getting our our families to heaven along alongside us. Um, and because we were built for community, we need the help and support of other men to accomplish that goal. A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Let me now sing of my friend my friend's song concerning his vineyard. My friend had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He spaded it, cleared it of stones, and planted the choicest vines. Within it, he built a watchtower and hewed out a wine press. Then he looked for the crop of grapes, but what it wielded was wild grapes. Now, inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I had not done? Why, when I looked for the crop of grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? Now I will let you know what I mean to do with my vineyard. Take away its hedge, give it to grazing, break through its wall, let it be trampled. Yes, I will make it a ruin. It shall not be pruned or hoed, but overgrown with thorns and briars. I will command the clouds not to send rain upon it. The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his cherished plant. He looked for judgment, but see, bloodshed. For justice, but hark, outcry. The word of the Lord. The vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel. The vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel. A vine from Egypt you transplanted. You drove away the nations and planted it. You put forth its foliage to the sea, its shoots as far as the river. The vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel. Why have you broken down its walls so that every passerby plucks its fruit? The boar of the forest lays its waste, and the beasts of the field feed upon it. The vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel. Once again, O Lord of hosts, 
Look down from heaven and see. Take care of this vine and protect what your right hand has planted, the Son of Man, whom you yourself made strong. The vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel. Then we will no more withdraw from you. Give us new life, and we will call upon your name. O Lord God of hosts, restore us. If your face shine upon us, then we shall be saved. The vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Philippians. Brothers and sisters, have no anxiety at all, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. Then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence and if there is any worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Then the God of peace will be with you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to the chief priests and the elders of the people, Hear another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. Then he leased it to tenants and went on a journey. When vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to obtain his produce. But the tenants seized the servants one they beat, another they killed, and a third they stoned. Again, he sent other servants, more numerous than the first ones, but they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, thinking, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and acquire his inheritance. They seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. What will the owner of the vineyard do to those tenants when he comes? They answered him, He will put those wretched men to a wretched death and lease his vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the proper times. Jesus said to them, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? By the Lord this has been done, and it is wonderful in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that will produce its fruit. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. That I might achieve I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. Asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. Asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. Asked for power that I might have the praise of men. 
I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I had asked for, but everything that I had hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am, among all men, most richly blessed. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So that, in a nutshell, is holy indifference. Where does this word indifference come from? Uh, St. Ignatius, annotation number 23. I've directed the 30-day silent retreat for about 15 years now. And in this first week, towards the end of the first week of the exercises, we go through Rule 23. And I put holy on it because when we see indifference today, we think that you don't care or whatever. No, no, it's a holy indifference. It's a thy will be done, but we still call out. So this... All right, now I need my computer guy. Here we go. So this is annotation number 23, right? Right there. Man is created to praise, reverence, and serve God our Lord, and by this means to save his soul. The other things on the face of the earth are created for man to help him in attaining the end for which he is created. Hence, a man is to make use of them in as far as they help him in the attainment of his end. And he must rid himself of them in as far as they prove a hindrance to him. Therefore, we must make ourselves indifferent to all created things as far as we are allowed free choice and are not under any prohibition. Consequently, as far as we are concerned, we should not prefer health to sickness, riches to poverty, honor to dishonor, a long life to a short life. The same holds all for other things. Our one desire and choice should be what is more conducive to the end for which we are created. Now there's part of that that should really grind. What do you mean? I'm not supposed to desire health over, over, over sickness, wealth over poverty, honor over shame. Well, he's saying, you're not in, in, in regards to which leads me to closer to God, to heaven. Because the reality is, at some point in my life, I will lose my health. It's happening. I could lose my wealth. And I could be dishonored. And you know what? God is still with me. God is even more often closer to me. So with holy indifference, I'm not being defined by my circumstances, right? I'm not being defined about what's happening out there. I'm being defined about my relationship with God. So am I supposed to be indifferent about the pandemic? Yes, in one sense. Do we pray for its end? Yes. But Jesus is still with us. He has not abandoned us. This summer, I decided to get realigned, so I snapped my right Achilles, because 10 years ago I snapped my left. And uh, am I indifferent? Am I indifferent about having a disconnected or connected Achilles? Um, I'm growing in it. It was a tough summer. But did God teach me something in it? You bet he did. He slowed me down a lot. I laid down a lot. I prayed a lot. He teaches, he's with us in that, right? And learning how to pray in that. How does Jesus, Jesus' Gethsemane prayer, and hopefully you have, you, I pray a Gethsemane prayer every day. You know, Lord, let this cup pass from my lips. So he's calling out, but not my will, but your will be done. So we all have to do difficult things every day. Do you bring that to prayer? Your things in work and things, and that, that's your Gethsemane, and that's a holy indifference. Because you're, you're, you're not denying the Lord, right? Um, it's the simple mantra prayers of trust. So as I said this summer, 
I'm in a cast for five weeks, I'm directing the 30 day, then I'm in a boot for another five weeks, and I'm thinking about are we even gonna open the seminary and I'm, I don't have much control. And, that's, and, and I, don't, I like to have control. And I'm having to surrender things and a prayer came to me. And I like to you know, pray in mantras. And so the word charge, take charge. So I said, I just began praying, Lord Jesus, I'm yours, take charge of my life. Lord Jesus, I'm yours, take charge of my day. Lord Jesus, I'm yours, take charge of my seminary. Lord Jesus, I'm yours, take charge of our church. Lord Jesus, I'm yours, take charge of our nation. Lord Jesus, I'm yours, take charge of our world. I'm putting Jesus in charge because I'm not. And that is, a, that is a, the lesson of indifference. It, it, it's so key. Remember, Jesus' name means Yahweh saves. I am in need. I need to call out. That's how I'm built. You know, Jean-Pierre de Cassade, he says, the essence of spirituality is the complete and utter abandonment to divine providence. What does that mean? The complete and utter abandonment to divine promise that whatever is occurring, I am at peace because the Lord is with me and he is in charge. The alternate title of divine abandonment was the sacrament of the present moment. The sacrament of that God is present right now. The second, but do I believe it or am I caught up in my fears and my worries and whatever, you know, in that, in that second reading, have no anxiety about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, let your request be known to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Right? Am I a Baptist? Do I have a teleprompter here? How do I have that memorized? I memorized it in college. I memorized it in college, because that was scripture that spoke to me. Becoming familiar with that, and, and once again, calling out when you're in need. You know, this is the thing of, of when we're pinched, when we lose control. But that's a good pinch because it's a pinch that turns me to Christ, right? And do we want to know how much we got to get pinched? We were on the same page here because this pinches me right here. The litany of humility is what I have on the screen, on my screen here. And you guys have that in your book. <laughs> so why don't we pray it? And, 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 and in your heart, when you pray that, what pinches me, that's, that's, that's one of the things I need to bring to Jesus. All right, let's go. I, I'll say, you'll say that Jesus grant me the grace to desire it, okay? That others may be loved more than I. Jesus grant me the grace to desire That others may be esteemed more than I. Jesus grant me the grace That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. That others may be chosen and I set aside. That others may be praised and I go unnoticed. That others may be preferred to me in everything. That others may become holier than I provided that I may become as holy as I should. I'm going to give you examples, two laymen and two priests of holy indifference, okay? And of course, this first one we all know, right, is St. Thomas More, the king's good servant, but God's first. So he's in his cell, right? And Meg, his daughter, comes to visit him. And remember, um, all he has to do is sign the oath. That's it. He's remaining silent. He just has to sign an oath. And remember, when Meg is trying to convince him, what does he say at one point? He says, to his wife, actually it was to his wife, it, you know, if I sign that, it won't be Thomas coming home, 
right? And so then he's finally sentenced. Uh, I'll read some of his letters before he sentenced. It's very fascinating in the sentence. You know, originally the sentence was him, and he did have a fear. His fear was of the pain and the shame that he would apostatize. And he was originally sentenced to, to be hung, drug, and quartered. So hung, and, and, then, and then you're cut before you die, and then drug behind horses on a cobblestone, and then quartered. And he was very afraid of that. And at the last hour, King Henry VIII changed it to a beheading. And he went to his death with a type of humor. Because he said to the henchmen, he said, could you help me up the stairs, but I'm fine by myself getting down. The, the, the beauty in which God's works, but in it, he's, he's writing to his daughter, Meg, and he says, I will, and he's talking about God here, I will not mistrust him, Meg, though I shall feel myself weakening on the verge of being overcome with fear. I shall remember how St. Peter at a blast of wind began to sink because of his lack of faith, and I shall do as he did, call upon Christ and pray to him for help. And then I trust he shall place his holy hand on me, and in the stormy seas hold me up from drowning. And finally, Margaret, I know this well, that without my fault he will not let me be lost. I shall therefore with good hope commit myself wholly to him. And if he permits me to perish for my faults, then I shall serve praise for his justice. But in good faith, Meg, I trust that his tender pity shall be my poor keep my poor safe soul and make me commend his mercy. And therefore, my own good daughter, do not let your mind be troubled over anything that shall happen to me in this world. Nothing can come but what God wills. And I'm very sure that whatever that be, however bad it may seem, it shall be the best. So here is a father, a husband, and he's at peace because he has the gift of holy indifference because he's rightly, properly ordered. And he's trying to bring that peace, you know, in a, in a real sense to his family. Um, and maybe in time they'll receive it. But it doesn't mean when I use the term holy indifference, it's not meant to be uh, an easy thing. If Christ is sweating blood in the garden and crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then understand, we'll be entering into that, but we're offering it up, right? This is a more modern example. Maybe you know of this story. Blessed Franz Jagerstatter. How many people know the story of Blessed Franz Jagerstatter? Okay, not many. Well, there's a movie called The Hidden Life. It's about a year old. It's a little long and it's very artistic, but it's on his life, right? He's a from Austri Austrian fa uh, father of three, married, he refused to take Hitler's oath. They tried to say, you can be a medic, you can do this, you can do that. Yeah. And in the movie, at one point, he's in a conversation and he says that Jesus has a number of admirers, but very few followers. It is the movement from admiration to imitation that is the hardest, he says. And he had a very strong, firm, principled, conscious. In the movie, they make him very quiet, but he was very outspoken, actually. And he was not going to sign. He just would not sign his oath. And his wife loved him and supported him. But it was incredibly hard because he knew then uh, eventually if he's executed, his, his three children who had to say, come home, daddy, are going to be raised and they're going to not be treated well. They're gonna be, there's going to be a lot of kind of uh, you know, prejudice against them. So there's a scene in the movie where his attorney, his defense attorney, is basically pleading with him to sign the oath, right? And then finally he says to Franz, do you want to be free? Franz responds, but I am. Then why am I here? I don't know. 
and he leaves. And he's executed the next day. He's blessed. But that is holy indifference. He is a man beyond his circumstances because he is in Jesus Christ. That is a man beyond his circumstances because he is in Jesus Christ. And he's an everyday guy. He was a, a rebel rouser when he was young. He had a motorcycle and that was kind of, and, and, and then he found God. Not that you can't have a motorcycle and find God, but the title, the title of Hidden Life comes from a George Eliot novel, Middle March. And it says this, the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistorical acts that things that are not so ill with you and me as they, and things that are not so ill with you and me as they might have been, it's half owing to the number who lived faithfully a hidden life. These people that lived faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. That's probably, hopefully, maybe that's going to be us. Next example, you may be more familiar with, right, is, is uh, Walter Chizik, Father Walter Chizik, the Jesuit. You're familiar with his story, right? He leadeth me. Uh, so Father Walter Chizik, 1940s, he was a tough guy. And he got in a lot of trouble, and he kind of shocked his dad when he joined the Jesuits. And then he, go, for his own Lenten penance, he would swim in Lake Michigan during Lent. And he was a tough guy, and so he decides he's going to take the toughest assignment, and he's going to go to study in Rome, but then go into Russia, communist Russia, to preach the gospel. And he's a strong-willed man, and so he goes into communist Russia, and he's kind of, he's not really, he's not having a lot of success, and he's very down, but then he gets arrested. And solitary confinement for a year, he's beaten every day. And what they want him to do is sign a statement that says he's a Vatican spy. And for one year, he won't. And they say, if he signs it, this is his reward. They'll send him to Siberia. Because that's how bad his conditions were. They finally break him. They break him. He signs it. He goes back to his room. And he falls in fetal position, bawling. And this is when he has his experience. He writes, I had asked God for help, but I really believed in my ability to avoid evil and to meet every challenge. I'd been thanking God all the while that I was not like the rest of men. I had relied completely on myself in this most critical test, and I had failed. And so in that, he receives the light because he finally can receive God because he'd been, it was my will, right? right? What's, the, what's the song in hell? My way, right? It's my will. He, went, he goes on to write, I knew that I must abandon myself completely to the will of the Father and live from now in this spirit of self-abandonment to God. And I did it. I can only describe the experience, a sense of letting go, giving over totally my last effort or even any will to guide the reins of my own life. It is all too simple to say, yet that one decision has affected every subsequent moment of my life. I have to call it a conversion. It was at once a death and a resurrection. And what's the proof in that? They didn't send him to Siberia. They kept him for four more years, beating him and in solitary because they were trying to make him into a Vatican spy because then they would have sent him back. But they couldn't brainwash him because he was free. And so when they finally send him off to Siberia, he's writing this. On the prison train out of Moscow, for example, the priest was thrown into a compartment with 20 hardcore criminals who took his clothes and threatened his life. Angry and afraid, he sat in his corner and tried to regain composure. This was the situation, these were the people. 
I kept trying to tell myself that formed the will of God for me today. It seemed hard to believe, yet peace returned as he resolved to accept these and all circumstances from God's hands and to offer them back to him as best he could. So then he saw that train now was his parish. That prison was his parish. He was able to see God's will in everything and that gave him the freedom. One of my priest friends is Monsignor John Essef and he's 92 years old and he was one of Mother Teresa's spiritual directors. He went down to see Padre Pio uh, when he was a young priest and Padre Pio uh, uh, said, I'm gonna be your spiritual director. He said, well, I'm in Rome and you're in Petrolachina, it's not gonna work. He goes, no, I'll, I'll send my guardian angel to yours. You'll know when it's happening. And this father, this Monsignor Essef was in Scranton. He's a young, young priest, he's a priest there. And uh, Father Walter Chisick's sister came to him and said, my, my brother's not dead. Everyone's saying my brother's dead and pray for him. And he prayed and he, this was, I think about 10 years. He was at another, he was still an associate. It took a long time to be a pastor at that time. And he went down for breakfast and there was an old man at the breakfast table and he looked at him and, and he said, I'm John Essef. And the other guy said, I'm Walter Chizik. And basically they had a prison exchange and they wanted to get Walter Chizik back quietly and they put him in John Essef's parish. And he said, I've been praying for you for 10 years to be released. So this, this real powerful, you know, you guys are transcendent. What is that? Transcendent above or transcendentals, the good, the true, the beautiful, not just this world. We're, we're more, there's more to this world. Last example, Cardinal Francis von Wynn, right? Uh, five loaves and two fish, excellent small book, right? So he's Vietnam, Archbishop Saigon, uh, 13 years, nine years solitary confinement. He's in the solitary confinement. He's reflecting on all the good he was doing as our bishop and now nothing. And then Jesus appears to him and says, on the cross, Francis, this is when I did my greatest work. And then he realized that his parish was now there and his prison guards, he began to catechize them. And then they were beginning to convert. And so they put him on a two week rotation. Well, you know what? The Holy Spirit can work in two weeks. So they began, he said his greatest joy in this prison was basically hearing them whistle Latin tunes, the Salve Regina and whistling because he was teaching them catechism. Because why did they convert? They couldn't understand how he could love them while they were beating him. He loved them into the church. And this is a picture of him. They, in their love, smuggled him in small pieces of bread and little pieces of wine. And he's celebrating mass with the altar of his palm. In private, nobody knows except the guards that would smuggle that small piece in so he could have the sacrifice of the Holy Mass. He came to a holy indifference. And he said one of the hardest lessons we're, we'll learn, and he said we, one of us, many of us will not learn it till we get to heaven, is to see Christ in others. His capacity to see Christ in these guards. What did Dorothy Day say? You know, one of my... On my ordination card, it was uh, Diodocus of Photis. He's a desert father. He said, do you want to know how much you love God? Ask yourself, how aware are you of God's love for you? So I, I, I become aware of God's love for me that then I can love God. But Dorothy Day said it differently, and it was a little bit more of a punch in the gut. She said, do you want to know how much you love God as much as you love the person you like the least? Wow. So I need some conversion. 
I need Jesus. That's the starting point. It's not about being perfect. It's about coming and saying, I need some help. God can work with that, right? So we're in a pandemic age in a sense, but I want to kind of refocus that um, on a different type of age. I'm not going to go in. This is going to be short, uh, but this is what we're doing at the seminary. All the guys, and Adam, you probably got this book, right? And, and Father Shaughnessy got it. My, my bishop's got 2,000 copies in Sioux Falls. We're going to do a study on it. From Christendom to Apostolic Mission, Pastoral Strategies for an Apostolic Age. You know, what, what does that mean? Um, it means that we got to stop thinking we live in Christendom. We live in an apostolic age, which means like the early church, in an age in which the environment is hostile to the Christian faith. And we can't think, and, and I'll tell you what, if we lived in Christendom, what, what is Christendom is basically this, I'll let uh, Fulton Sheen kind of defend it, or define it here. He says, well, he wrote this in 1974. First of all, we are at the end of Christendom. No, now not Christianity, not the church. Remember what I'm saying. Christendom is the economic, political, social life as inspired by Christian principles that is ending. We've seen it die. Look at the symptoms, the breakup of the family, divorce, abortion, immorality, general dishonesty. That was 1974. And, you know, Pope St. John Paul II and, and Pope Benedict and Pope Francis have all said, Christendom's done. We need to then understand we have to live differently in an apostolic age. You know, if we were in Christendom, then priests wouldn't be saying, I wonder if the people are going to come back and the healthy people would be back. We're in, an we're in an apostolic age because the Christian faith is foreign. We don't, the majority of people don't think as Christians. In a Christian age, if I'm doing apologetics, it's mainly going to be maybe about Christian topics like Mary or the Eucharist. But in an apostolic age, I'm doing apologetics about the natural or moral law. You don't need to be a Christian to know that you cannot kill or should not kill a baby in the womb or that a marriage is between a, a man and a woman or what it that my biological sex is who I am as male or female, the DNA. But that's the age we live in. And that causes attention. Part of holy indifference, knowing that God is with me, is being able to live in the tension. What do I mean by that? The tension of the way I know it's supposed to be and the way it is. There's a tension there. Jesus in the passion is being pulled across. He knows what tension is. He's perfection in a sinful world, and he takes on sin. And so in my daily life, can I live in the tension in trust? And that's why those short prayers, Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I surrender to you throughout the day, lifting everything up because we're meant to live in joy, even in an apostolic age, more so in an apostolic age, because I guarantee you that as we live that way, God will pour forth the Holy Spirit. He'll pour forth the Holy Spirit more than in Christendom when we're just kind of driving, we're just going down with the river, right? It's only a dead thing flows down a river. It's only a living thing that can swim up stream. And we're in a culture now that if you're going to be Catholic, you have to learn, you have to be swimming upstream or it's just not going to work. The faith doesn't get passed on by some strange osmosis. It has to be desired. It has to be witnessed. And that's what you, what's what you men are doing right now. You know, it's interesting, in the 1920s, Hiller Belloc, he was Chesterton's best friend, he wrote an article called The New Paganism. And he said, you know, in the old paganism, you know, you could, uh, you, had, you had Socrates and Aristotle, Cicero and Virgil, 
and they were seeking for truth. They were off in areas, but they could talk about justice and the cardinal virtues. And he said, not so with the new paganism. He said, the new paganism, and he's writing in the 20s, is specifically a rejection of Christianity. It's a rejection of Jesus Christ. And he says, so the new paganism will be the Antichrist. He said, and it'll be, and then John Paul called it the culture of death. And so this understanding that we are in a different era and we have to pray and live and do things and pray for creativity, right? Because that's what, you know, with Fulton Sheen, he, he says here, this was in the same talk that he was saying, he says, these are great and wonderful days in which to be alive. It is not a gloomy picture. It is a picture of the church in the midst of increasing opposition from the world. And therefore, live your lives in the full consciousness of this hour of testing and rally close to the heart of Christ. That's a man who has holy indifference. And it's not doom and gloom. It's no, praise God. This is when we're living. This is when we're called to live. This is when Adam's called to be a priest. Praise God. The Holy Spirit's going to be poured out on us for this time. So that's how we have to pray with that type of expectation. You know, the transcendentals, once again, are the good, the true, and the beautiful. And today we celebrate these creatures that are truly transcendent, the archangels, right? The archangels, and then later on this week, the guardian angels. It's transcendence because it's above. We live in the world, but we're not of the world. And so we call on and we know that our battle is not with the flesh here. It, our battle with, is with the principalities of darkness and learning how to pray in that matter and calling on the Holy Spirit, right? Finally, you know, in the same time period, I don't know how much time I have if I'm going over, but this was John Paul II. I'm good? All right, here we go. John Paul II, 1976, Philadelphia. Maybe you're familiar with this quote. John Paul II, he's saying, St. John Paul, I do not think that the wide circles of American society or wide circles of the Christian community realize this fully. We are now facing the final confrontation between the church and the anti-church of the gospel versus the anti-gospel. This confrontation lies within the plans, plans of divine providence. It is a trial which the whole church must take up. It is a trial of not, only, uh, of not only the church, but in a sense, a test of 2,000 years of culture and Christian civilization with all of its consequences for human dignity, individual rights, human rights, and the rights of nations. We must be prepared to undergo great trials in, not, in the not-too-distant future, trials that will require us to be ready to give up even our lives and a total gift of self to Christ and for Christ. For through your prayers and mine, it is possible to alleviate this tribulation, but it is no longer possible to avert it. How many times has the renewal of the church been brought about in blood? It will not be different this time. Wow. And this is... You think this guy's exaggerating. He lived through the Nazis and the communists, and he's seeing it. And Pope Benedict wrote something similar on that. And he's not doom or gloom. He's bring it on in the sense with Christ. And so preparing us and bring it on with the angels. And so to have that confidence instilled and then to continue to pray on how you witness, particularly I had a special focus as, as Father Huber does in my parish on, on the men in my parish. That we, would, that we would lead. And I think that is key, inviting more men to, to, these, uh, you know, to, to these events to learn your faith and to share your faith. Let's end with the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. 
And may God rebuke you, and we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.